Welcome back to the Non-Standard 14er Podcast, the podcast that tells you everything the route description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. I'm Short Rope, and I'm joined with Tay Jack. Hello. Jacer Jack. Howdy. And Brian Sargent. Hey. We're really excited to have Brian on the podcast tonight. He is the communications and development manager. Did I get that right? Correct, yeah. For Colorado 14ers Initiative, an awesome nonprofit here in Colorado that uh, works really hard to make sure that... We get to enjoy the time on the 14ers, and so we're just really thankful to have you here tonight. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so what is CFI? Yeah, Colorado 14ers Initiative is a, a 501c3 nonprofit uh, founded in 1994 um, as a partnership for preservation. Uh, there was a, a group of uh, five different organizations, including Volunteers for Outdoor Colorado, Wildlands Restoration Volunteers, um, the group uh, Rocky Mountain Field Institute, uh, them and some agencies had done an environmental impact study in 1993 and, and noticed the significant damages were on uh, Colorado's 14,000 foot peaks due to the increased recreation use. Um, and so they founded this partnership uh, to actually um, address those issues. Wow, back in 93? Uh, yeah, 94 is when we were actually founded. So, wow. Yeah. And that was when, what, 400 people were climbing grades a year, and now... Probably looked a lot different. That's, all, that's what I hear a lot of times, yeah. Really interesting. And so how long have you been on CFI now? Uh, four years. I, I celebrated in, in just in October here. Awesome. So what uh, what exactly do you do? What's a, what's a day in the life of Brian look like? Yeah. Uh, the life of Brian. Brian. The life beauty. of Brian. Not a Monty Python joke. <laughs> you can make that a thread, though. Yeah. Bring your Monty Python jokes off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the beauty of my job is that it's uh, it kind of changes depending on the season. Um, so development and communications, I'm assisting with our fundraising year round. Um, so I'm reporting to funders on what we've done with their money. I'm writing grants. Um, I specifically focus on smaller foundations, local government funders, um, and, and corporate partners, um, specifically like the outdoor industry. Uh, I, I manage our website and run all of our social media channels, do e-newsletters, um, anything that's related to communicating with the, the general public and, and our donors. Um, and then in the summer months, I actually run our part of our sustainable trails program where we are um, installing these infrared trail counters to, to monitor hiking use on the 14ers. So you're wow. behind a desk most days in the winter then? or Yeah, so now that the, the season's kind of wrapped up here, I'll be um, in the office just about every day of the week. In oh, Golden. In, in Golden, yeah. Lots of titles. Lots of things Yeah, as a, as a small nonprofit, we all kind of wear yeah. a lot of different hats, and we're all Renaissance people, you know, <laughs> jack of many trades. Mm-hmm. So, so, so to back up, every year you guys release, do you call it the report card, or...? Um, just so kind we of kind of have these two right? two different things that okay. fall under the umbrella program that we call the Sustainable Trails Program. Uh, it started with the report card. Between 2011 and 2013, one of my coworkers hiked 42 of the routes, and along each of those routes, he recorded foot by foot GPS based data related to the conditions on the ground. Um, so he was looking at where do trail features need to be built? Um, how far is the source material to build those? How estimating how long it would take to do, um, you know, to build a rock wall or install some stairs or something like that. Um, we were able to take these 20,000 
20,000 data points that he collected and we distilled it down into what we released as the 14 report card, which had assigned letter grades to each of the routes, um, estimating how much money it would take to bring them up to a standard, con- or, um, the, like the ideal conditions. So the better the report card, the better the the trails were in better shape, the essentially, less the less needed. work they needed? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But you could have a trail that needs a lot of work, but the rocks are real close by, and it's easier to then... That all plays them. into it, yeah. Okay. Like something like Mount Columbia, which was actually a, a terrible route. It was, I think it was rated... It's like really loose screed. Yeah, loose screed, but there. I mean, there's no source material in the, in the area that we're building that, so, you know, they're utilizing different tactics to move some of these rocks from further further areas on the mountain so that was kind of the the initial part of our sustainable trails program and then in 2014 we started installing these infrared trail counters it started in 2014 with five routes Uh, we only had had five counters out there Um, and then each year it kind of grew from there um, to to 10 routes and then now we're up to 22 different counters and the five most popular uh, no, uh, the first five was Grays and Tories, Quandry, Castle Peak, huh. and I think we were down in the BLM 14ers. We had like Handys and Red Cloud, I, I think. So is there some limitation around wilderness restrictions? Is that why you don't have all 58 or what's... Correct. Yeah, we're kind of maxed out at this point. Um, we, we can't install them uh, in designated wilderness areas. Okay. So we've got them in on the BLM peaks, the National Forest peaks, and then we actually have a couple on private land as well. Wow. Uh, Mount Lindsay being, being one of those. The purpose of that is just to track how many people is it is it per season or per month or how do you track that? Yeah, so it can give us hourly data. Wow. Um, it's placed alongside the trail, either hidden in a, a rock cairn. How big are these things? Uh, so it's in the actual thermal sensors about the the size of your finger, and then it has a maybe two foot cable that's attached to a little battery pack that looks like the size of like a cigarette cigarette case. Wow, that's okay. So they're hard. you wouldn't see them. So they're pretty small. When we have them hidden below tree line, they're in the trees because it's uh, a lot less t- issues dealing with like, tam- you know, hikers tampering with it. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, we can put it up above your head and you walk underneath it and you never know that you walked under it. When we get up above tree line, we can't do that, obviously. So we have to bury them. We put them in rock cairns. Um, so it, at that point, then they're in a six by six little steel waterproof enclosure that we kind of have to rig huh. and so there's a little hole that's drilled in the box and the sensor shoots out of it and then we spend hours up in the alpine constructing the perfect cairn that fits the box and has you know just a the slightest little gap so that the sensor can shoot through ideally so that people don't know that it's up there because <laughs> because we have had it in in prior years where people have tampered with them um wow. they they see it and they think that it's like a geocache and so they'll oh, take the cairn apart and they'll pull the, the box with the counter and then they're like oh crap I don't, I don't really care what this is and they just leave it there and so hmm. we don't have any way to access it see that that's happened in real time without going out and checking on it mm-hmm. So it could be weeks or months if we're not going out there that we're missing data because somebody's messed with it. So does it transmit data to you or do you have to actually go? You have to physically go download it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, my executive director and I will go out in uh, 
depending depending on the conditions, April or May, we're starting to install these things um, all across the state. And then each of them will usually check on once throughout the season just to make sure that nobody's messed with it and that it's still recording data. How do those thermal counters not count sheep? It does, yeah. It does. It's, it's not 100% <laughs> so the well. sheep go walk, walk back and forth on Quandary, and so Quandary becomes the most traveled 14 <laughs> It could be. We we eliminate days like that, though. Like If if we look at the data and there's a day that's like 40,000 people, which not, not that that's happened, but like we would we would pull those you know anomalies out of there. And you divide them by two? You assume every, every tick yeah. is one person going up and one going down? Yeah, that's something that's built into the program would be that it automatically divides it but yeah it it can if two people were hiking really close together it might only count them as one person or if somebody's walking incredibly slow it it may count them twice so it's it's not 100 percent accurate but it's it's better than any other option yeah it gives you a good feeling for it you can't have somebody 24 7 standing out there on the peak stewards that do don't don't some of the peak stewards count yeah they take saturdays and grays or whatever yeah they'll they'll count how many cars are at the trailhead when they get there and how many people that they've educated and you know how many dogs off leash they saw, and all sorts of data that's good for <laughs> they keep all that for our reporting. Yep. What else do they keep? They counted five hundred the day we were out there. Can you believe that? Yeah. Well, the, the report, the one in July had a thousand people on Quandary. Oh. One thousand twenty-three people mm-hmm. <laughs> in one day, Saturday on in July. Wow. Yeah. Really. And so when when you look at the, the overall use of the data though across the whole season, there's only a few days out of the year that look like that and it's these like saturdays in mid to late july and early august and then if you get into like september everyone's gone back to school people are shift focus like there's not nearly as many people out there if you're out there early season so there's all this talk about like oh my gosh the 14ers are overrun it's crazy it's like well yeah if you go out on a saturday in july (laughs) mid-season there's going on a front range peak, you're going to see 500, 600 other people out there. I go out on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays in the middle of the week all season long and, you know, might run into like 10 people on grazing tories. Some of these front range peaks that are seeing like 20,000 plus hikers in, over the course of the summer, uh, we'll go up and monitor those almost weekly. Um, we, have, we have an intern that will come partner with me in the work with me in the in the summer months and oftentimes we'll just have them run up to like go check on grays and tories and drive over and go check on quandary and then go drive over and check on democrat and so they're not wow. summoning the mountain but you're just like running up look at the counter make sure no mess with it <laughs> sure. or, or download the data and then come back how far up so, are they i can't um, tell you Oh, it's <laughs> uh, a hour hike, though. I mean, not like you just yeah. Jump I mean, out of the we try to put them a couple miles in, like on the bridge there by the Stevens beer, Gulch, yeah, or Beer Sat <laughs> or something. You know, we try to put it in past the most, like the farthest trail junction. So if there's a an alpine lake that somebody might branch off to, we'll put it past that, um, so that we're making sure we're getting people that are going to the summit. Most of them are usually a couple miles in. So it's past the Some junction of Kelso Ridge? Several miles. In front of the junction of Kelso it's Ridge. Right at the Kils- it's right before the, the junction Kelso Ridge of Kelso Ridge. Ridge. Yeah. Chris so is going on a treasure hunt. Going <laughs> down. It, that one you would be able to spot. The cairn has continually grown. I think it started as like this little four-foot thing, and now it looks like Jabba the Hut. It's just this <laughs> massive cairn. What's your take on that, on people making making their own cairns? Making their own cairns? I mean... I, 
We're adding two cairns. On a peak like that, where the route is inc- super defined and it's not necessary, it, to me, I, I don't really think that it's it's needed. Um, obviously, people just just want to be a part of it, or like they, they like to add. You know, they'll see me up there working in the cairn, and they'll come by and like add a rock to it, and like think that they've done their part by. These are like eight-year-olds or like no, these 40 are grown years. men. Yeah, grown men and women. Here you go. Did my good so, deed for the day. I'm done. Yeah, because I've heard it argued that that's kind of against leave no trace principles. Yeah, I mean, for some folks, it you know it might be an eyesore. Yeah. So, which kind of leads me to my next question: Is it how much of your initiative is preventative, like like putting the message of leave no trace out there, versus sort of cleaning up the mess of? Mm. So. Uh, in 94, when we were formed, um, on all out of all 58 route of all 58 peaks, there were only two routes in the whole state that were planned trails. Hmm. So that means everything else was all socially created. Two, two of them, yeah. Which was, was what? Which Longs ones? Peak and the Bar Trail down on Pikes Peak. Oh, make sure. Okay. So everything else was just people getting out of their car and they're going straight up the mountain, not taking into consideration what plants they might be trampling these are could be potentially rare plants that you can't find anywhere else on the planet uh they're not taking in consideration the slope angle or uh, you know Erosion how or, yeah how rain and snow melt are going to erode their trail most of them that's why a lot of the 14ers just go straight up um so what we're doing is going in we work with the forest service who plans a new route generally you know there's a an easier slope um show the woman loretta mcelhenny who works for the forest service she's planned uh, almost all the routes i think in the past 25 or 30 years that she's been there yeah she'll take into consideration like where snow lingers in the spring to avoid you know having the the trail that's covered in snow so looking at like slope angle and shading and all sorts of that stuff oh interesting and then we basically implement the project. So there's several years of planning that goes on at the forest service. Uh, and then we raise the money, we hire the staff, bring out the volunteers to build the trails, um, to, so that they're more sustainable. So to go back to, um, your question, Jace, your question about mitigation and yeah. prevention versus, uh, yeah, because when we were up doing that uh, trail day on Grays, it almost was like, felt like you were like fighting a losing battle by trying to teach leave no trace principles. Like there's going to be so many thousands of people up there that don't understand that, that have never heard it. So you're almost just kind of directing them onto a path that's you know, making it easy for them not to mess things up as opposed yeah. to teaching them don't walk on the grass and things like that. Like. Yeah, it, it obviously a trade-off. Education is probably one of the harder aspects about mm-hmm. what we do. Um, the Front Range Peaks, it, it tends to be, yeah, let's just make a really defined trail that's easy to follow and people just, you know, just, just follow it and hopefully they don't go off trail. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our volunteer peak stewards that uh, focus specifically on education. So, we have folks that'll go out into the field, they'll hike the mountain, and while they're out there, they're educating people, kind of acting as a representative of CFI and the Forest Service, telling people why it's important to stay on trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the crew members, when they're out there, they're contacting, educating folks as well. So It's important. That was really yeah. important even just on the day we were out there. Saved a lot of people from, I bet you in the 500 people that were out there that day, if they all went the same way and followed the leader, there'd be a brand new social trail. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's crazy how quickly those form. For sure. Wow. 
So I have a random tangent question. We talked about yeah. this a little bit before, um, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be curious. This seems like a dream job for a lot of people. How'd you get into it? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia and went to school, studied marketing, international business and uh, minored in Spanish and had the mindset that, exactly. uh, oh, nice. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I had the mindset that I wanted to work for a, you know, a big company that could send me abroad and I'd work for them and, um, briefly worked at Coca-Cola in Atlanta and realized <laughs> that I'd didn't like the company culture and didn't support the product that they were selling and, and didn't want to do that. And I had started reading books written by Avon Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, the outdoor clothing company, and left my gig at, get Coca-Cola to go work at the, the retail store, uh, Patagonia in Atlanta, um, where I took over as a, a sales associate, but took over their environmental grants program. Mm -hmm. So was kind of on the, the reverse side of what I'm do, doing now. I was actually giving money away and giving product away to local nonprofits. Patagonia had a, a really cool internship program where they would allow employees to leave work for up to two months and they would pay you your normal salary to go volunteer for a nonprofit. That's so neat. Yeah, and I, I knew I kind of wanted to come work in the mountains and having a brother that lived in, in Denver, um, I found Colorado 14ers initiative because the, the Denver store had previously donated money to CFI. Um, so they were in kind of this internal database at Patagonia and reached out, came out and did an internship program for, for two months. And then about a year later, I came back out for a full-time gig. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. That's how yeah. you get the dream job. <laughs> Be, yeah. Being incredibly fortunate. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. How many people work at CFI? Uh, we have like five and three quarters full-time employees uh, that work year-round. Um, four of those, including myself, work in the office in Golden. Um, and then the other two folks work remotely up BV Leadville area. Um, <clears throat> in the spring, each year when we're bringing on trail crew leaders, uh, we'll hire anywhere from 20 to 25 as your seasonal workers. Those are the seasonal workers. These are the people that are paid professional trail builders. They've been doing it for several years. Uh, we have a, you know, a couple of internship positions for people that are new to it. But most of these people have <clears throat> done done some years at Youth Corps and maybe even worked directly with CFI, but on a Youth Corps crew, and then ultimately come to work with us. And yeah, we've got uh, several returning folks that have been working with us for seven, eight years now. So. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And they're literally just out there camping all summer. Do you need an economist? Heck Any no. reason? <laughs> yeah. You, I, you probably would have liked, there was a, some economists from CU that had done a study in 2009. Went, I was reading it, the financial, like, yeah, economic they, like tally, impacts. like how much money they spent, like, just hiking X yep. peak. People like, gear coming, and, like, yeah, food, gas. Yeah, if you got gas. a hotel or you, got yeah. a, you paid your gas or whatever. And so that's how we rope in. The, the hiking use numbers, that 353000 if we multiply that by the $270 oh, that they like spend a day, it's $90 million economic impact of 14ers Holy are contributing cow. to the state of Colorado. Um, so these things are pivotal in our fundraising because we can go to, I can go to town of Breckenridge and say, hey, Quandary Peak's now the most climbed peak in the state. There's 40,000 people. Here's why you should give us money so that we can fund trail projects. Oh, and exactly. Smart. Some data is really helpful for you then. That the numbers are... Some money, or they get the grants yeah, and the... Incredibly helpful for, for what we do. So 270 is the magic number between gas and all that? 
271.17, which seems incredibly <laughs> high because I'm yeah. like, when I go out, I buy a couple bars and like gas maybe. But you're thinking about all the people that are coming from out of state. Like, Rental cars. You're coming from Texas and, and you flew here to cl- fly, to hike 14ers. You're, you're in contrib- your flight and hotels and if you had to buy new gear or something. Take the cost of all your gear and divide it by the number of 14ers you've done. That's I bet true. it's over 270. Yeah, Tarek's jacket is throwing this whole thing yeah, off. Right. Totally Three skewed. Three fourteeners worth as it is. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, yeah. So, how many how many specific projects did you do last <clears throat> summer? Because we volunteered with the Grays one. Correct. How many other crews are out? Uh, last year we had four fixed site crews. So those are the people that live and work on one particular mountain the entire year. Usually mm-hmm. it's way more intensive focus and more technical work. So we had a, a big crew that was up on Mount Columbia. Doing that standard, that's bad. Doing yeah, the they're they're there. making a completely new route, and it's going to be one of the best routes in, in the whole state uh, huh. when it's finished. I it's ha- the haven't same, been up there yet. But... Close the same way, or mm-hmm. yeah. when's that going to finish? Uh, so they <laughs> will hopefully tie up uh, <laughs> kind of the last sections of it next year, and then <laughs> the rest of next year we'll be going back and restoring um, the old route. Okay. Yep. Cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Columbia, we had a, a large crew up on Elbert. They're doing a new trail reconstruction project. So using some of the same old trail and just reconstruct standard, the, the, the south slopes or the what's the south, standard on? Yeah, the south slopes. I mean, there's three routes. Because Elbert is like Elbert. really, the one route on Elbert is like F. Yes. Uh, let's see what that one would have been. East slopes, cheap, sweet, cheap, F with $6 signs. <laughs> yep. That sounds like a bad gig. F with $6 signs. Yeah. So, okay, so Albert. Yeah, Albert. Um, we had the Grays and Tories, which is a smaller little two person crew. Yeah, that's, yeah. And we can really augment those with volunteer projects. So, we, they'll work like Monday through Thursday and they'll get some of the really high, the work that's done really up high or the really technical work. They'll be doing that during the weekdays when there's maybe not as many people on the peak. And then on the weekends, we can bring, fill in volunteer projects. Um, but you guys, yeah, I think you were working with John and Albert, yeah, which was Saturday, the Grays yeah. and Tories crew. Yeah. yeah they, and then we had a, another two person crew that lived and worked down in Lake city and they were worked, they worked, um, half of the year on Handy's Grizzly Gulch and, and Red Cloud. And then the other half of the year they went and worked on Wetterhorn. I was going to say, we just. Trail so nice. Yeah, and on Compagre. What part too, of Wetterhorn? So. The very the beginning. Well, they also did the very beginning, they did a kind of stair feature with logs so that it was uh, kind of in that meadow section. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so, they did some really nice like stair stair work and then drain. Yeah, you know, drain a lot of drainage features and, and like log check steps. And stuff. Yeah, Waterhorn's got to be the best trail I've been on on any 14er. It's just gorgeous. Perfect single track the yeah. whole way. Kudos to your guys. That was awesome. Yeah, it was beautiful. And we even noticed that with the dirt, the fresh dirt. We're like, man, they must have just been here. This is really nice. Our knees felt good. (laughs) So I'm curious. I'm I'm looking at the legend here. Um, Mm -hmm. You've ranked it on a scale for the cost from $1 sign to six, one being less than $75,000 and six being a million and up. Mm -hmm. What what is most of that, you know, for Mount Albert, the East Slopes, that were over a million dollars. Where does that most of that cost come from? Obviously, you have to pay for the employees to be there. What else? Labor is going to be the, the main, yeah, the main part of that. So, like, on Albert, we had four crew leaders that were up there oh, wow. all year long, and that could be a four- to five-year project. They're also working with a, a large youth corps crew. That could be eight to ten people. 
um, that we're contracting with the youth corps. So we're paying for that. Uh, you know, the materials costs are going to be smaller. Um, fuel is, would be factored into that food. Um, you know, the staff get a, a per diem as well. So okay. do you ever need heavy machinery at some of the, you know, or we, is that all yeah, just we human don't, powered? Everything we use is like primitive tools. Uh, if we're That's in, so interesting. Especially if we're in wilderness area, obviously we can't even use like chainsaws and that sort of thing. They're, they're then using crosscut saws. Yeah, if we're outside of wilderness, like on Grays and Tories, you may have seen uh, the chainsaw crew. They, John was up there running a chainsaw. So. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. In, in cool. the time that you've spent with CFI, is there a particular project that you're proud of or have seen most development in? This Columbia one, um, I have actually not been up there to see it yet. I've obviously seen the photos and I've written numerous reports to funders about it. So I know the work that's that's nice. happening up there uh, without actually going to see it. But but it's notorious to be like loose and scree and like the, even the forums always talk about how terrible. Like, yeah, it was like one of the most dreaded routes to go up or, or down for that matter. Um, yeah, and this, this new route, they're just building some really impressive rock staircases and mm. retention walls and it's a pretty bomber trail um are they lugging those rocks up then or you said so, there's not really material around there yeah the the area that they've been in the past couple of years uh there's not a whole lot of rocks um and so we've been utilizing these um cable trams it looks like it's like a zip line mm. for rocks and so we have people that are taking rocks from higher on the mountain and just carefully lowering them down. They're not like, yeah, they're not launching them down the mountain. It's a slow, long, long process to do this, but they're to find the rocks that are big enough to build the structures that we want to build that are going to last a hundred, 200 years. They're yeah, they're bringing them from other areas of the mountain. Wow. Which ultimately is less impact because if, if you have somebody, people who are going to quarry rock, then ultimately you're trying to step, hopefully not on the actual tundra plants, but with this, there's no impact. You just go right over the tundra. So it's a trade-off. You're leaving a 200-year-old scar in the mountain, but at the cost of not having people make all their spider web of social trails. Yeah, and that's something, I don't know, hopefully you guys got that with your spiel at the beginning of the, the trail project that you guys did this summer was like, Look, if you're going to quarry a rock or even if you're just stepping off the trail to let a hiker come through, step on a durable surface like mm-hmm. a rock or, you know, try not to step on these plants because they're incredibly fragile. Uh, just five footsteps can can kill these plants off. And, wow. and many of these plants have been you know growing for decades. Is there one I'm, I'm looking at this list and there's some that you guys have on the planned and inventoried and then unplanned for projects is there one i mean there's a lot of work to be done on here is there one that just seems like a lost cause or one that's kind of far out from being an a so mount chabonneau is i've been up to the summit three times we skied it actually this spring which was a lot more enjoyable at least for the descent yeah uh that trail is in in terrible condition um and i'll just kind of tie it into a, a cool story around that we actually for years weren't able the, the the forest service was not moving forward with the planning of this route even though they knew that it was really bad because there was some private land issues so hmm. this from the summit all the way down south to the saddle that connects it to the, there's a, a adjacent peak i don't i think it's unnamed that was all private land there was mm-hmm. multiple uh, mining claims that were up there the forest service knew that there's no way they could replan plan a new route because it'd be crossing through 
private land. Um, so we actually had a campaign and we looked into it and raised money and purchased three of those mining claims up there. Oh, wow. So that we now own the summit of Mount Shavano and the land just, just coming down the slope to the south there, huh. which is the area that we're ultimately going to donate cool. back to the Forest Service so that they can reap plan a new route and then we'll implement it wow so, awesome what does cool that cost what's a mining claim cost it? uh we did it for i think it was like 30 or forty thousand bucks for three different claims so they were like ten thousand bucks so you could have owned the summit of mount shavano for thirty thousand dollars you could have is yeah. it that sub peak that you're going up <laughs> with the <laughs> saddle and you look to the left you'd be off on your left yeah, yeah. okay i know yeah. exactly so that saddle between there was all like Dang. private any, any other ones up for sale we could buy? Right. What you guys do? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, you just missed it. Uh, Calabra was up for sale. Oh, yeah. Last year, right? yeah. yeah. Two hundred million. That was like <laughs> several hundred million. I was going to so, say, that's a little out of the price range. Out of the price range. Um, <laughs> Mount Sherman is one that has tons of private land issues up there. Uh, oh, yeah. There's not as much... Alpha, if you've ever been up there, it looks like Mars. It's all just rock. There's like no tundra anymore. It's all scarred from mining. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been trying to talk to folks about getting some sort of like a a user, an an easement or land access grant to like make it official that people can be going up there. Uh, On Sherman? Yeah. That could be your thing. You could buy a grant and then you could be the Monty Python. What is your (laughs) name? Yeah, there you go. Can you imagine Carlos and Calabria? You got to answer me these questions three. Do you have a favorite fourteener? Um, a couple different ones. I really like Mount Sneffels. Mm. Um, when I'd come out from my internship, had gone down to the Telluride area and, and just gone down with my brother to photograph it, and you know, standing there, not not thinking that I would ever move back to Colorado or be working for the organization. Like, oh man, that'd be cool to climb that mountain. So then, you know. Flash forward a couple of years later when I came back and started working on the peaks and was able to actually go down there and, and summit it. That was kind of tied it all together. That yeah. was, was really neat. Um, Blanca it was a was a really enjoyable climb. And I, I really enjoyed Blanca from looking at it from the north side, like over in the Werfano Valley where you access Mount Lindsay, Lily mm-hmm. Lake. That north side, that face, it's just towers over. It's cool. That's a bad trail too, right? That's an un- unplanned trail that... Oh, the one on Lindsay ranked rank pretty poorly. Yes, yeah, it's a terrible one, and that's this would be a very similar issue because once you get you get into that upper basin, so all the the lower area through the trees down by the the stream, and then you get into that upper basin. That's all Forest Service land, which means you can't. Well, no, that it, it, we would be able to work there. How come but there's no then, bridge there? Uh, I I don't know. We don't do we we don't do any work down there. Do you ever do bridges? Do you. Um, you know, I'm hard pressed to think. We, yeah, I mean, we've done some small bridges, um, and I think we participated in the the boardwalks and stuff on on Beerstad. That would have been before my time, but I'm pretty sure that was CFI who built those. Um, yeah, with Lindsay, once you get up to that saddle, then you're on the private land. So you've got again these private land issues. Huh. So yeah, there's a, a guy that owns his ranch actually owns like the summit. And that little wow. and that's why it's ranked poorly because it'd be expensive to buy the private land. Because uh, I didn't think the trail was that bad. No, probably mm-hmm. just it, though. The trail's terrible. It just goes straight up through those trees there. Oh, remember uh, that? I do. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it was just just down there last <laughs> yep. week with a little bit of snow. It was <laughs> yeah, terrible. Yeah, we did twice. Did you see this on here? 
Little Bear Peak, too hazardous to maintain. It's one of three that aren't on the list. <laughs> mm-hmm. What else is on the list? Pyramid? Uh, Calabria, which is entirely on private land, and then Lost right. Peak, which is maintained Park by Service. National Park. By the National Park. Park. Okay. Interesting. If someone wanted to donate, like, specifically to a mountain, yeah, is that a possibility? Like, if they're really passionate about this yeah, one mountain? Yeah, for mountains? sure. You can, we can restrict funding. I mean, that's what a lot of, like, foundation partners will do. You know, it's, it's restricted to a certain mountain. But if you just as an individual, like, I love Grays and Tories or whatever, right. and you want to do that, yeah, you can put that in, like, the, the notes when you make a donation online. Or if you, you know, sent a check okay. in the mail, you could write a little letter and... We would we would make a note of that and make sure that the funding is only going to that one peak. You have that look on your face. What peak do you yeah, want to donate yeah, to? Well, no, I was just I was just thinking. Wetterhorn's always yeah. already great. <laughs> I know. Like someone donates a million dollars or more, and it's like we'll name that Bill bridge Lord. after you or something. You know, Wetterhorn is now Taylorhorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you're getting into like issues with the forest. Oh no, service, no, 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 so, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> we can't we can't do that. You're commercial. You heard it here first, you wilderness. guys. A million dollars will buy you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So what, obviously your guys' mission is preservation. So from your perspective, what do you see as the biggest threat to preserving the 14ers as we know them? Mm-hmm. Don't mean to put you on the spot. I know it's kind of a tough question. Because your latest report had, what, 350,000 people hiking the 14er every yeah. year. Yeah, I mean, obviously the biggest impact are human beings and, and the impact of our human waste and our footsteps up on the Alpine. Um the plants that exist above tree line are anywhere from 10 to a thousand times slower to regrow mm. than the ones that are found just a few hundred feet down below in the trees. Huh. So they take an incredibly long time for these things to grow. Um, it, it's been estimated that the soil um, can take anywhere to up to a thousand years for just one inch of it to be deposited. Whoa. So if you're hiking a trail and it's incredibly braided or cupped out and you're looking hey, what's at... What's braided like, mean? I saw that term in your report. Yeah, so like if you've been up Elbert and you think of the there's like a cat's claw, you've got a trail oh, and then somebody didn't want to hike somewhere. on that because it had snow or it was muddy or there was a rock that was too big. So then they started hiking right next to it and they started killing those plants. And enough people then said, hey, that route is so much smoother. I've been hiking for hours. My, my feet are tired. Like that's a path of least resistance. So then you get another trail that starts right next to it, and then ultimately you can have five or six of them that are you know braided mm-hmm. around each other, and sometimes they join back into one. Or... Mm. Yes. How do you fix that? How do you Rest- close the braids? Restoration. So you can you know take soil from the trail corridor that you're wor- maybe working in. Like if, if if we're doing the new trail restoration project and they're cutting new tread, you can take the the dirt that you're cutting and like put and like then a, transplant it over like there. Golf, golf. Yeah. We use um, straw wattles a lot of times, which are, we'll have volunteers carry them up for us a lot of times, but they're these long, I think, I don't know, eight feet long um, kind of pouches that are stuffed with straw that then mm-hmm. we can lay down into the like big, big braids or big eroded areas that will help hold the soil, but also like slow the flow of water mm-hmm. going over it. Mm-hmm. And then we transplant vegetation. So anything that we've like pulled from a new trail corridor or from an area, we can take that plant and plant replant it back over there. We'll spread native seeds as well, so that hopefully things regrow. How do you make sure your employees actually do their job? What if they just sleep in? Could you, how do you tell whether they actually moved a couple rocks that day or not? 
Well, there's no supervision, right? There's like someone's gonna pop up and like. Yeah, I mean, we're not have, doing your job right. We we have three different like field program managers uh, that oversee the project sites, and they're going out there weekly to talk check to on the progress. So they see and the progress on grades. They will they will see the progress. They will oftentimes tell them, "Hey, this is garbage. Take it, like rebuild it." I mean it. We like to have a standard of things that are going to last hundreds of years. And so, we did. <laughs> they, they even said that. They're like, we're going to have to end up redoing some of this. Yeah. It's, if we want it done right, uh, you know, oftentimes. <laughs> do, you, do you get some garbage volunteers to just, it's like, you, you, so we'll, you can't really. <laughs> what, we've, what we've done, you know, what they're doing. any of the volunteers are, are garbage <laughs> They're donating their time to come out and, and do right, this. Right, for sure. So, you know, we tend to gear the, the work the volunteers are doing to maybe be less technical things. We're not going to have them build some, like, elaborate 12-stair staircase with, you know, stone gargoyles on the side. We're going to have them carry rocks for us, or we're going to have them, you sure. know, putting in log check steps, which is pretty hard to, you know, you dig a hole and you drop the log in it and then you backfill. Yeah. We give easier tasks for volunteers to do. So. Even like some of the seemingly more simple things we were given were really tough at 13,000 feet. Like yeah. break this cairn down and move these rocks over here. Like 10 rocks at a time, take a break. Ten, like, yeah, that just, was hard work. Just quarrying rocks, which yeah. when I had interned, you know, I was kind of the person with no trail experience. So they were like, oh, he's just a big person. Like get him to move rocks. <laughs> It's hard. I mean, yeah. you're when you're up there all day and you're yeah, we were only like you half a day. Pick yeah. a rock up and you move it and you got to like take a break a minute to before you go back and get the next one. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. That just kind of got me thinking and reminded me I actually so I'm pretty cynical about the whole like crowded trails thing. Uh-huh. Admittedly probably more than I should be, but Chris sure. and I both left that trail day really positive and really hopeful for the future just because of not only the work that was being put into these trails but the people that we encountered yeah. were so nice mm-hmm. and so appreciative and all the people that I think of and kind of frown on are you know were super friendly yeah. and were thanking us for our work and right. you know 500 people that day and not one was a jerk not one was parked on the grass not one made a shortcut that they didn't apologize for like people were really cool and I was like I, I kind of had more hope for the future after that day as opposed to kind of going into it with, okay, I wonder what kind of shit show this is going to be, you know? Yeah. So. Totally. Just a side good, note. Good feedback, yeah. What are some of the, people know the 14ers, what are some features that they would know? Like, I was on that trail. They didn't actually know that CFI did it, but like, like the trail up North Maroon, that was you. Y'all, you. Correct, yeah. That's like the campsites on Holy Cross, that was y'all. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, we've done 31 different routes on huh. 28 14ers. So obviously, there's some of the some of the peaks that have multiple. The steps on Pyramid for you, yeah, uh, coming up out of the lake and up to the amphitheater. Correct. Really good trip. Yeah, I mean, we don't work on the like Creston, the Songa de Cristos. That's another group that maintains those. But just about anything else where you've seen work that, that would have been CFI over the past 25 years. Wow. Uh, yeah, I guess a, a really big one, um, the Mount Eolis complex, you know, in the Chicago Basin, those trails. So there's quite a few uh, routes on here that are rated, you know, highly rated, mm-hmm. stuff that is achievable and not terribly expensive. So how do you decide, how do you decide which one, which one wins? 
Yeah. Um, kind of multiple factors. Obviously, the report card yeah. gave us a great way to say, like, where are our priorities? Um, or where it's going to be best spent or the, the most bang for your buck. Right. Um, also, the, the hiking <laughs> use. So the, so the hiking use report and the 14 report card can kind of pair together. If you've got a really high use peak that has a crummy... Uh, you know, crummy rating on the report card is probably going to be a priority. Um, we've also uh, done some surveys of the public to ask them, like, okay, do you want us to focus on the peaks that don't have a, a route at all and need a new route planned, or do you hmm. want us to focus on, you know, these high use peaks? Um, okay. And you know, feedback is is typically you know fifty fifty on that, like. Yeah, focus focus your funds elsewhere. You know, every spread it across everywhere. Um, uh, also, funding availability. You know, mm-hmm. it it's hard to get funding in some of these places like Lake City, where there's not ski tourism. There's no real local government grants program. Like you know, the city of Aspen and the city of Breckenridge, they have tons of money that they are oh, able to okay. give to us mm-hmm. to work sense. on the so trails. It's not donations. It's more of government. And local, yeah, I mean, uh, government grants is like somewhere around forty percent of uh, thirty or forty percent of our funding. And what's the other seventy? One of the highest percentage in the past few years has been individual donations. So Hmm. just that's great. General hikers and people who are supporters of our work. Um, Foundation grants. So you know, there might be a family foundation or something like National Forest Foundation, um, which is one of our biggest foundation partners. Um, and actually in 2018, I think the foundation grant category took over the highest. We, we had most of our funds coming from foundations. Wow, that's <clears throat> great. So, but then, yeah, smaller chunks come from like corporate partners and, and other income. What are trail structures? Going back to your question about the person that hiked off 42 and mm-hmm. did all the, every foot did a waypoint or whatever. Sure. And then if you look at your report card, you say like, there's, there's 12, 12 trail structures on the beginning of capitals. 12 features, yeah. What is a trail structure? Uh, a whole handful of things. So that could be a back wall that's you know into the, built into the slope. You guys probably built back wall on Graves mm-hmm. and Tories, right? You usually set uh, you know a really heavy um, kind of canter bantered uh, rocks in, and then you build up there to retain mm-hmm. the soil. Um, there's mono walls, which are usually, as it would sound like just kind of a, a wall that's like a single layer. Sometimes that's used on the, the other side of the trail or to delineate the trail that kind of like keep people in between or on it. If you have like just a, a single line of rocks here, that could be rock staircases or log check steps. Um, the list goes on. I mean, there's like, there's differences then if we categorize, you know, a rock check versus a cribs chip cribbed rock check step versus a log check step oh, wow. um, okay. back walls rubble walls mono walls they all kind of serve different purposes a little more calculated than what we were dealing with you just like stack some rocks here i thought we were just trying to keep this 800 people that were going to be there that weekend close to the right trail just delineating yeah the, the trail I thought, I thought a lot that's of times. what we were doing yeah yeah and that might just be like you just rubbing a wall like okay people had kind of been going that way yep we don't need it to support the tundra to like yeah, hold that, the soil in but build like let's a, just junk you know, it and like a make two and it a half foot curve so they it funnels yeah. them this way up the actual trail instead of 
Right. Yeah. Let's, you know, it doesn't have to, to serve any purpose other than like, don't people, we don't want people to go over there. It's neat that it's so specific to that mountain that, that someone's been on that mountain and knows exactly, you know, what is needed for that specific. It's not just like a one size fits all that it's really mountain specific. I think that's a lot of thought. I think that's a lot. Yeah. A lot of thought. It's, it's neat. It's lasting. Like you said, you know, it's something that for sure. Hopefully he's going to be there for a long time. Yeah. And, and we can go back in, in years and down the road and re inventory the routes and see how things are changing. Um, we haven't released it. So, so we mailed it out, uh, in a little fundraising appeal that we did, but we haven't released it online yet, but we're kind of the second iteration of our report card where we're looking at, you know, the initial inventory on a mountain and then how much money have we put into that mountain? How many volunteers, and how has the conditions changed? Oh, so they move um, from the So we're area. actually able to see like Quandary Peak when we initially inventoried in 2011 was a C plus, and it was you know somewhere between 150 to 250 thousand dollars estimated to fix. We put in 233 thousand uh, dollars of our crew, and we had 1,300 volunteers. Um, mm. And then we re-inventoried in 2018. The the conditions had improved to an A minus, nice. um, and it had dropped to like seventy five thousand dollars to to maintain it at that point. So, and so you can even look at this and just glance and see how efficient each project was. Whereas one just moved from a C to a B, and it's still expensive to fix. Mm-hmm. So there's your like re- return on investment or bang for your buck type. Sure, or you could you know you're looking at like Holy Cross is also mm-hmm. just way farther in and harder to get to, so it's going to yeah. be more expensive to work on than say quandary peak oh right so there's a lot of factors that yeah huh what's wrong with what's wrong with holy cross uh people get off mosquitoes i haven't i have yeah. not been back there <laughs> yeah. uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollar mosquito uh, <laughs> catchers uh, just a net at the karate uh, kid with the, the chopsticks no, yeah. i like holy cross i thought that trail was fine a little steep but that was great just great campsites there at the east cross creek crossing or whatever yeah we had done a, like a three-year intensive project on it and i know that obviously the report shows it getting better i haven't i've have never been back there so i don't know uh what the what the issues are on that mountain yet how about snowmass a terrible, the non-existent eroded trail above so, the Snowmass Lake going up. Yeah, that's one that's kind of in the in the future. Um, we got still, the remote <clears throat> one probably, right? It still hasn't been planned. Um, it, you know, we're waiting for the Forest Service to do route planning on that before we can do any work. It's got a C minus and four dollar signs. So what's the plan for two thousand twenty? already laid, laid out. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, it's all. Dependent on funding, you know, some of the funding has been procured for for 2020, and uh, there's others that are still up in the air. There's grants that have been submitted that have not been yet determined whether we're getting the money. Um, but if all goes to plan, we would have uh, the crew back on Columbia. We're going to have a crew back on Mount Albert. We'll have a crew, two-person crew on Grays and Tories, and the two-person crew down in Lake City. 14ers. So similar to what you did this year. Same thing this year. And then we also would have the eight person adopt a peak crew, which only engages volunteers and they travel around the state. Um, I think I maybe forgot to mention them earlier when we were talking about that because we had the four fixed site projects and then the adopt crew travels around the state. So they might 
work on Elbert for a few days, engaging a youth camp, and then they drive over to Gray's and Tories on the weekend and they work with a local business or CFI volunteers that were recruited like from our website. Um, And they'll work in prior years, they would have worked on like up to 20 different mountains over the course of the summer. Wow. Um, We've kind of been scaling it back to give them more time on one mountain to make sure that they're kind of finishing up projects. Mm-hmm. So I think this year it was like 12 peaks that, that they worked on across the state. Your report card says if you had $24 million, you could do everything you wanted to do. Uh, yeah, that's the, and what, the what, how much, how much do you have a year? Million dollar donations or? What, yeah. So the... 2018 was our largest uh, operating revenue the 1.6 million. Okay. That's great. And that's going to pay your staff and your been, office in Golden. and Yeah, and it, it, I think it's uh, 70 to 80% of all of that money goes straight into on-the-ground work. We have very small operating costs for like employees. Mm-hmm. The salaries that are in the office for year-round employees, almost all of our money goes to the people that are working four months out of the year building trails. That's great. And do you have a like, big fundraiser? Is there any... like? gala Um, (laughs) cfi gala yeah so uh we have not typically done big events like that it's a lot of work uh for employees and or board members and a lot of money and sometimes not a huge return on investment um brad mcqueen uh he's our the the chair of our board of directors uh he's really big in the 14ers.com community awesome mountaineer great guy uh, he'll host a 14ers.com happy hour every May in his backyard. He'll do a pizza party fundraiser for CFI. Um, so that's a, a cool way that we connect with the, the local community. Um, for 2020, we're actually trying to start. It'll be an inaugural event um, that we're hoping to do. Not going to be exclusive to 14er finishers, but kind of geared as a, a way to celebrate everyone who's finished the 14ers. Um, What's that? Um, we are looking at eight in April of 2020, um, and I just had a conversation with Joe Grant, the ultra runner. He's would be our, our keynote speaker. He'd come out and screen his film uh, about his tour to 14ers, where he uh, rode his bike between and then ran all of the 14ers in less than 32 days. Insane. Uh, so he'll he'll wow. do a little presentation, and we'll just kind of have a party for 14er like-minded folks. Yeah, celebration. That's yeah, cool. that's really neat. So that would kind of be our, it, we're hoping that that would be an annual event and each year we would have a new guest speaker and that would kind of be our big fundraiser. And sell tickets for it, do an auction. Uh, the, the first year we're looking to have it as a free event um, just to bring people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we'll maybe do a silent auction or have raffle and that sort of stuff. Cool. Yeah. That's great. Do you buy your gear? Can you buy shirts or hats on your website? Uh, we don't. We usually just give that stuff away to our volunteers as kind of an incentive and, and a reward. Thank you for, for coming out. I brought you guys some hats, actually. So. Nice. Oh, very cool. Mine's Thank crushed. That <laughs> crushed in my... Yeah, I've got one that's super sun-faded that I wear out in the, in the field, and then like if I'm going to events, I have a clean one. So. This one went up a little bare, so I'm pretty happy. Oh, sweet. Happy really? that. Yeah. Nice. Let me ask you this. If you... If the... Someone sponsored a billboard for you as Brian, not CFI, and you got to put up a message at the base of I-70 by that Conoco that everybody sees when they drive up to the mountains. <laughs> what message would you put out there for the average Denverite before they head up to the 14ers? 
Oh, what? This is that's a crazy question. <laughs> this is not for CFI. This yeah, is just for... Brian, yeah. What would you, yeah, what would you want people to say? Oh, man. What message do you want to put out there? What about you poop, you scoop? <laughs> that would be Taylor's billboard. Uh, I'm terrible at this. As a communications and a person who studied marketing. Okay, so billboard aside, though, for for the people that are listening, like what, what takeaway... What's the... What take away your speech? Yeah, I mean, I think being prepared is something that a lot of people don't do, and whether that's looking at the weather forecast uh, when before you go up, or looking at the you know the the trip the most recent trip report to figure out if there's snow up there, if you can even get your vehicle up there. People put them put themselves into situations all the time. Um, yeah, maybe something about preparedness, just like That's doing great. proper research before you go out. There's so much information, especially specific to the 14ers with the .com website. Mm-hmm. Like, That's good. That's a good one. Really good. So for our listeners who are you know feeling inspired by your work, how can somebody get involved? Yeah, I mean, obviously, one of the easiest ways, and it, not everyone can do it, is financial support. So everything that we do, we need money to, to do it. So if, if you have the means and you'd like to make a donation... Um, we've got Colorado gives day coming up on December 10th. Um, there's some matching incentives that's set up through the community first foundation and first bank, uh, which would allow us, you know, depending on how much money we raise that, that day, um, we can get a little bit of extra money from that foundation. Yeah, that's fund like, that yeah, comes in. that's the best day to donate to a nonprofit in Colorado because yeah, you basically get two for $1 sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that's a great way to do volunteering your time, whether that be like you guys did, you know, moving rocks and swinging tools at high altitude, or if you want to get involved in like the education side of that. So uh-huh. each spring, uh, we usually do two different classes that you'd attend one of those classes. It's a day long seminar. Um, Loretta from the forest mm-hmm. service comes out and a couple of, uh, kind of veteran volunteer peak stewards will come out and they talk about leave no trace principles. Loretta talks about bot- Alpine botany and the wildlife. And it's a really cool class just to come out and listen to. And you basically learn the, the techniques of how you would go out and approach someone on the mountain, uh, you know, asking them to put their dog on a leash or the importance of, you know, staying on the trail or, you know, not pooping in the Alpine, um, you know, leave no trace ethics basically. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of sign up or commit to going out three or four times over the course of the summer. And we give you a hat and like a shirt and name tag. And when you're out there, you're a representative of the organization and the forest service. And a lot of these people use it as a chance to go climb the peaks. So like if you already know mm-hmm. that you're going to be out there hiking and you want to give back, hmm. A lot of people will, will stand at the trailhead, you know, while the, the main morning rush is going by and talk to people at the trailhead and then they'll hike up, take a break halfway, hit, you know, talk to people as they're coming up, go to stand on the summit and talk to people when they're up there. Cool. So. And those are all volunteer. Those are, those are all volunteers. Well. So how would they get in touch with you to set something up like that? What's the best way to find you? Yeah. Our website is 14ers.org, 14ers.org. Not to be confused with .com. The dot com is the we're all the time. I can't tell you how many times people run into me on the trail. Oh my god, I use your website all the time. Like, I guarantee you don't. <laughs> you know, the fourteeners dot com has like millions of site visits in a year. We're we're like hundreds of thousands of site visits a year. So uh, if you go to our website, there would be you know how to an option of how to get involved, and that would 
would give you the donation or the volunteer opportunities. Um, we use or release the volunteer opportunities for single and multi-day projects um, for trail stewardship. Those will be released somewhere around March, um, and they, they fill up pretty fast. So if you follow us on Facebook or sign up for our email newsletter, that's the best way to get you know up-to-date information. You guys are on Instagram for most yeah, young yeah. folks. YouTube, right? yeah, yeah. YouTube Instagram channel with our videos. Well. Yeah. We have YouTube as well. So. And you just started doing those videos? What's that? Those series, a video series. You like a safety oh, the, series, the right? the educational videos? Yeah. Yeah, so we've got like 50 videos on YouTube that are all uh, various topics. So there's some that are weather-related. We worked with Chris Tomer um, to do like weather safety videos. Um We've got some about alpine botany. We did some about pica. Um, there's, there's some. Yeah, some of the ones they were like fourteenyears.com really promoted the castle. Yeah, or the, sorry, the, the capital and then the bell, deadly bells or the elk so range ones. The most recent video series we did was all dedicated to mountain safety, and that stemmed out of the was it like seven deaths that occurred mm. on Capitol Peak in one season, um, in two thousand seventeen. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we were able to get some funding through um, Colorado Tourism Office and Aspen Ski Foundation uh, to put together these video series. So, yeah. And we've got more that we'll, we'll be coming out with. Well, we really appreciate all yeah. the work that you guys do. Thank you so much. It's so important with all the people getting out there and the education and all the mitigation that you guys do. We really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah. Um, thanks yeah. for being a part of this. And if you guys listening uh, are interested like he said you can go to 14ers.org 14ers.org correct get involved donate sign up uh give back to these mountains that we love so much 